This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Selvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk from Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. We're recording this episode in May 2020 amid the epidemic of COVID-19. With the promise of a vaccine or effective therapy still unclear, citizens want to know what comes next. The prescription from leading healthcare experts is for widespread testing, integrated with comprehensive contact tracing. To that end, Governor Baker recently announced an initiative to dramatically scale our capacity for contact tracing by collaborating with Boston-based global health nonprofit Partners in Health. This massive effort to build a tracing capability is designed not just to flatten the curve, but bend the curve downward to more rapidly reduce the number of cases in Massachusetts. My guests today are Partners in Health CEO, Dr. Sheila Davis, who has led the organization's Ebola response in West Africa from 2014 to 16, helped rebuild the health systems in Liberia and Sierra Leone, was called to help in Haiti after Hurricane Matthew, and when flooding wiped away entire neighborhoods in Lima in 2017. Also from Partners in Health is Dr. John Welch, Director of Operations and Partnerships, who is helping to build the health army needed for successful tracing here in Massachusetts. My co-host today is Barbara Anthony, a former state consumer affairs official, lawyer and economist, who is also senior fellow in healthcare policy at Pioneer Institute. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Uh, thanks, Joe. It's great to be with you today. Barbara, at Pioneer, you're researching many of the public health themes related to understanding and tackling this epidemic. What do you want to hear from our guests today? Well, I think that, um, first of all, these are two terrific people that, that we have today. We're so fortunate to have them. Uh, but I think what our listeners are going to be most interested in is how this project, this uh, testing and tracing project that our guests are doing, how this project is going to increase their safety uh, in the midst of this pandemic, and especially as we slowly begin to reopen the economy. I think that's the first thing that our listeners want to hear. I think secondly, uh, what they would like to know is what they can do to help, to help move this along and to help enhance their own safety and security. So how is this project going to help the help increase our safety with respect to this virus? Because the virus is not going away, still going to be there. And secondly, what is it that our listeners can actually do to help? Great thoughts, Barbara. I share your view that listeners want to know how this information helps them and what they can do to also help their uh, fellow citizens. So when we return, we'll be joined by Sheila Davis and John Welch of Partners in Health. We are back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi with Barbara Anthony of Pioneer Institute. We're now joined by Dr. Sheila Davis and John Welch of Partners in Health. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So I want to kick off our show by acknowledging that uh, you both have seen some of the worst epidemics on earth. Um, tell us why testing and tracing is such an important tool when dealing with a epidemic. John, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we know particularly for um, either novel viruses or um, sort of um, diseases that, that um, have been sort of orphaned uh, by the medical community that you have to have a robust public health response. Um, and that is true for Ebola. It's certainly 
a true true for COVID. Um, you know, it's what we saw in the early days of HIV and AIDS. Um, and uh, what I what I mean by that is when you don't have um, a an infrastructure that's uh, churning out quick vaccines or able to provide um, treatment um, in the immediate phase of of a of a novel illness, um, you've got to rely on these tried and true tools of, of uh, testing, tracing, uh, treatment, isolation, of course, and, and support of those, of those individuals. Sheila, do you want to add to uh, why, uh, why testing and tracing, uh, in your experience, uh, dealing with, with the, um, let's say, for instance, Ebola, why, why that was the key ingredient to success? Yeah, I think, you know, like, um, uh, you know, COVID-19, Ebola, does, at that point, 2014, 2015, did not have any treatments available. Since then, there have been some treatments that have shown promise. But so because when you can't actually treat a disease, you want to try to prevent it even more, more so. And the best way to do that is to stop transmission where it's happening, which is in the home or in the community. We don't want to wait until people get sick and show up at the hospital or show up in, in a health facility. So the, the best way to do that is to find those people. And, and when diseases are, or viruses are passed person to person, then you know by really digging into where people have been in the past few days is critical to be able to find those people and then see if they have symptoms and have them isolate. So it's a way of breaking transmission to stop um, the spread of any viruses or spread of diseases. And as John said, this is a tried and true public health thing that's happened for, for decades and decades. It's just not something that has been done as uh, proactively in the US except for sexually transmitted diseases. So, so let me just jump in. So we, and either Sheila or John, so in terms of, your, in terms of Massachusetts, uh, we're about, to, we are embarking, I don't know if you've started the project or not, embarking on this testing and tracing. I, I just saw that California is either uh, doing it now or about to embark on it. I think we may be the only two states. So what, what tell our listeners, what, what exactly does this mean for us? Now, we have, um, uh, what, 70,000 cases in Massachusetts? Uh, are those people the people who are involved? Are we talking about another part of the population, the asymptomatic part? Tell us about how the testing is going to work on your end, and then exactly how the tracing is going to work. Um, it, does it mean that everybody I've come in contact with needs to be identified or just certain people at certain risk levels? I think our listeners would, you know, the devil's in the details, and this is such a, an important program. I think they, they'd like, love to hear about that. I'll start by saying that contact tracing for COVID-19 has been going on since uh, community transmission and any transmission has been happening in Massachusetts. Uh, the local boards of health uh, do contact tracing for 90 different uh, reportable infectious diseases and COVID-19 is, is one of them. Uh, so that was happening at the local level by those uh, local departments of health um, since the beginning. We're in a situation now where there's just such uh, large numbers in, in parts of the state that um, the, the capacity for those local boards to keep up with the contact tracing uh, can be quite difficult, especially if we expect them to maintain their essential activities uh, of day-to-day -day boards of health. So to that end, um, this, this project, uh, this, this initiative is 
an endeavor um, for us to um, contact every positive case and trace every contact. Uh, so what does that mean? Um, those 70,000 cases, uh, a, a large proportion of them have already been uh, contact traced. And the interesting thing about that is the sometimes when contact tracing is happening, the public doesn't really know that that's what, what, what's happening. Um, this term is not new for those of us who work in public health, but it might be new for, um, for the, the population at large. So um, what happens is that we receive the positive test result from the state lab database. Um, and particularly as access to testing uh, improves, those, uh, those lab results will come to us even quicker and we'll be able to act on them um, in, in uh, almost real time. Once we receive that lab result, we call the person um, who, whose result we received and let them know that uh, they have tested positive for COVID. Um, we, number one, first and foremost, make, the, make sure that they're okay. Um, you know, this may be the first conversation they've had since they were tested. So we want to make sure that they're, they're still doing all right. We make sure they understand what safe isolation is um, so that they can keep their families and their friends safe um, and that they have all of the tools necessary to safely isolate for the duration of their illness. Um, and then after we've established those things, we're able to uh, help them think through who they've been in contact with. Right now, the definition of a close contact is somebody that they've been around uh, within six feet for more than 15 minutes. Um, and that is the, the Massachusetts DPH uh, definition as well as the CDC. And then they gather all the contact details of those individuals that have been identified. And those get electronically passed to our contact tracers who then uh, reach out to those individuals. Now, knowing that those contacts have been, in, in, uh, been around someone who's tested positive for COVID, again, the first thing that we do is make sure those contacts are okay. Um, and make sure that they know where to go to get tested and what those testing criteria are. And then after that, we make sure that they have the tools and the information they need to safely quarantine so that uh, should they um, develop COVID, that they're not putting additional people at risk. And this sort of- so can, can I just ask you something, yeah. John, at yeah. this point? So um, I'm carrying on and uh, feeling fine, and I get a call. And by the way, how will I know that the, these calls I'm getting are, are legit? Yeah. You know, uh, is there something that's going to come up on my phone that's going to identify this as a as a legitimate call from your operation? Yeah, great question. So um, this is something we spent a lot of time and effort on uh, to get it right. And so the, um, the caller ID will say MA COVID team, Massachusetts COVID team. Um, and the two area codes that we're working from are either 857 or 833. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, many, many people these days screen their calls. We're able to leave a message and just let those folks know who we are. Okay, um, good. They can call us back or we can um, call them back. And certainly, okay. if anybody's worried about um, a, uh, a a scam call or something like that, uh, they should report that because we'd like to know and we'd like to um, work for from our end to make sure only um, legitimate calls are are making it through. Great. So I get one of these calls, but I'm I'm feeling fine, 
And you are now going to be telling me that I have been in close contact with someone who tested positive, right? Correct. Okay. You're not going to tell me the identity of that person, correct? That's correct. Okay. Now you're going to ask me, I'm feeling perfectly fine. You're going to ask me to do, to isolate? Uh, so there, we will ask you to, to quarantine. Isolation is the, the sort of public health definition for somebody who's tested positive for an illness. And okay. Is uh, for those who have been in contact. So we're going to ask okay. you. Well, tell us what that means. For, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to ask you to quarantine for, um, for 14 days from the time of exposure. Um, we're hoping that we catch you uh, early on in that, that quarantine phase. Um, mm -hmm. And that means uh, to keep uh, at least six feet away from uh, anybody in your household or any other individuals that you um, avoid sharing a bathroom with uh, those in your in your home. And if if you do share a bathroom that you're able to um, to uh, wipe down surfaces and, and clean that area that you are um, not sharing a bedroom. Uh, with with anybody, and that you're able to um, avoid that close contact, which could put someone at risk of uh, contracting uh, COVID. And this is particularly. Can I still important. go out? Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'll just say this is particularly important for something like COVID, where there can be uh, asymptomatic transmission or early symptomatic transmission. Um, and this is a really, really important point for something like this, that, uh, you know, quarantine for close contacts is a really essential tool to reducing transmission. And so how, do, I, do your folks follow up on that? You know, do I get one call or do you call me every other day to ask me how I'm doing? And by the way, will I be tested? You've, you've told me I had close contact with someone for 15 minutes. Am I going to be tested? Yep. So. Um, we will, we will be following up with you on a regular basis and checking in um, to see how you're doing on symptoms and um, to make sure, again, you've got the tools that you need to safely quarantine. Um, and we are working really hard, um, as is um, the, the COVID command center here in Massachusetts, to expand uh, testing availability so that um, if you are identified as a contact, um, that you'll have access to testing. Those rules and regulations are, are um, changing all the time, but it's one of the important mm -hmm. exercises of being in touch with a contact tracer is that we can um, be sure that you're aware of your testing eligibility. I, I want to introduce into this, I, uh, I'd like to bring um, Sheila back into the conversation and say, um, bring back the uh, Ebola issue and one of the things that amazed me about reading up on that is, of course, you had to be aware of the cultural context of this epidemic. I understand that in, in the West Africa, it was customary to, in a, during a funeral to touch the body, which made you know, containment of the, the epidemic that much worse. Now we're in Massachusetts. We're in your backyard. You understand, theoretically, the, the cultural context of this epidemic. Um, are people, when you call them and, and ask them for their contacts, you know, in a perfect world, they would share them all. They'd, uh, they'd know them. They'd share them. We've all seen the movie uh, Contagion, where uh, there was one important contact she left out, uh, someone she was having an illicit relationship with. Uh, are, are we confident in, in Massachusetts in 2020 that when one is called, one will honestly share everybody that they've been within six feet of for 15 minutes or more? 
I want to actually answer the Ebola um, or, or go back to that for a second. So, you know, I think there was a lot of um, fuss made about kind of these exotic things that happened in West Africa and in our country um, it's, or in this area, when a loved one dies, often somebody touches the body, you know, to say goodbye or to stroke someone's head or hold their hand. So it's actually no different in other places in the world. Here we pay people to, you know, an undertaker to be taking care of the body. So our contact is less. But in many different cultures, even in the U.S., there's a, there's a lot of uh, people certainly are um, in contact with those loved ones who died. So I just want to clarify that as well as, you know, there was a lot about bushmeat and that's you can call that game here in the U.S. So I think that there's often in times like this, particularly when something's happening someplace else where I think we want to point to these exotic things that are happening, but then when we break it down, it's actually the same as here. We just call it different things. But um, in terms of kind of the disclosure of contacts, I'll let John actually answer that because he's the one who's who's training all the contact traces. So he'll know uh, specific stories of people who are are or what's happening with that. It's a it's a great question, um, particularly because we know that there are populations who um, might be um, resistant for good reason and sharing their contacts with us. Um, and, you know, this is, this is all part of any public health intervention, which is to include socializing some of the, um, the messages and a, a big, um, you know, sort of campaign that's uh, a, a broad social mobilization campaign, but also focused um, uh, campaigns in various uh, cultural areas so that we're making sure people understand that this is a, a normal public health activity, that their information is safe with us, uh, that the real endeavor is to keep themselves, their families, and their friends safe, um, and that in sharing this information, we'll be able to continue to keep them safe and, and support them. Um, you know, we're in an interesting uh, moment in this pandemic, and this was ref where we saw the same thing in in Wuhan and in um, in South Korea, which is that when you implement big social distancing um, measures and and a lot of these mitigation strategies, that the what's called the R naught or the um, the reproduction rate of the virus, um, you're able to bring that down to a more manageable number. And uh, but the only time that you break the chain of transmission is when you bring the R naught below one, meaning uh, each person who's infected is infecting fewer than one other individual. And so the social distancing plus contact tracing at the moment is a little bit more simple because there are far fewer close contacts. When we start opening things back up, when people start going back to work and sitting, you know, across uh, cubicles and things, um, when we start opening bars and restaurants, uh, it is much, much more difficult to be, uh, to be clear and concise with, um, our contact tracing, uh, what's called a line listing, the listing of all your contacts. And there's still a lot about COVID that we're not quite sure of to know, is it safe, for example, to sit in a cubicle side by side, or 
Should we be sitting in every other cubicle? Um, you know, should airflow in an office be, uh, you know, laminar airflow or, or turbulent airflow, right? All of these questions <laughs> that just haven't been well defined. And I think um, until we get that R naught uh, lower, we're, um, we're, we're tempting fate a bit by just relying on um, any single uh, piece of a, of, a, of a public health response. You know, John, um, or Sheila, so a lot has, we've had a lot of uh, news lately about the wearing of masks in Massachusetts. As you know, the governor has uh, issued an executive order with respect to mask wearing in public places where social distance can't be um, maintained. So what, well, I think our listeners might be interested in knowing what role uh, does mask wearing play in reducing this uh, this, this transmission rate, I'll call it. You called it something else more, more accurate, but I'll just call it the transmission rate. How does that help? What's your, and what's your view of mask wearing or face covering, I should just say, make it broader? Yeah, you know, I think that people wearing masks is to uh, protect others from themselves. So I think that, you know, because as John said, this is being transmitted from people who are asymptomatic. Um, you know, the, I think people should wear masks when they're out in public and um, cannot be, a, you know, socially um, practice social distancing even to uh, even more than six feet because we know that there are many people who are immune compromised. We know people who are getting chemotherapy, people who have autoimmune disease, people who have older people are very susceptible to um, COVID and then when they get that, it's, the outcome is worse. So the wearing of the mask is to really protect others because you're, you're stopping the filtration of the droplets leaving. It's not certainly um, the, like the N95, which filters out 95% of, of, of uh, droplets of bacteria, but we need to save those masks for healthcare workers in the hospitals and in other healthcare settings. So I think the cloth mask is a barrier that can certainly prevent you from um, just from normal breathing or if you cough, you sneeze, or when you exercise and you're breathing heavily, there's a lot of models that show how far it actually can, uh, you know, the, um, the droplets actually go and, and hit somebody else. So I, I think it's important that people wear masks. I think this is something you do to protect others and is a way of certainly um, in, being able to prevent transmission in large in, in large numbers, obviously, is what we're trying to do for many reasons, also to prevent our hospitals from being overrun, um, which uh, has been successful in some senses in many states. So Sheila and John, uh, Partners in Health has given an enormous uh, task to build what I'm characterizing as a health army. Uh, quite a few people getting on phones or I guess perhaps even knocking on doors to help identify, track, trace everyone who has the virus and advise them to isolate or quarantine if they're uh, uh, testing positive. What kind of people are you looking for to help staff this health army? What are the qualities they should possess when they join the force? And what will they be expected to do once they're hired and trained? Sure, um, so we're... Uh We've hired over a thousand people. Um, those people will 
the um, case investigators who receive that positive test result and reach out to the, the positive case, contact tracers who are the ones um, communicating with all of the contacts and providing all of that follow-up that we talked about, and then care resource coordinators. And these individuals are the ones who are addressing uh, the individuals that uh, might not have the tools that they need to safely isolate or quarantine. Um, or might need additional support throughout their, um, you know, their illness or their quarantine. And those, um, those resource coordinators will be connecting uh, people that we reach on the phone with the resources that, that already exist in their, um, in their communities. Um, so those are the, the, the main, the three main roles that make up this uh, huge um, cadre of, of contact tracers and all the supporting structures. Um, and, you know, in terms of who we're looking for, um, we're, we're in this interesting moment in history, right? Where uh, in order to safely and, and effectively get to the bottom of this, before those novel therapies are really developed, before we've got a vaccine, before we understand more about serology testing and things, you need a huge group of people um, to be quickly trained in this essential public health activity um, and, and, and start providing that, that service. At the same time, we have a huge number of people who are furloughed, who may have been laid off, um, who are looking for a way to get involved um, and to help. We've had over 40,000 people apply for these jobs, which just says to me, uh, People really, really want to do whatever they can to help uh, to get to the end of this so they can go back to the work that they'd actually really prefer to be doing. Um, we have um, individuals from all walks of life. Um, we have individuals uh, with over 20 unique languages. We have um, folks who were Peace Corps volunteers who were sent back to the United States. We have people who are uh, retired doctors and nurses. We have many people from the service industry who are excellent at, at talking to folks. Um, you know, I've, I, for one, have had some of my best conversations with a, a, a kind bartender, for example. And, uh, you know, you can, you can teach those, those folks um, the, what they need to know to, um, to get the information that we need and, and where that information should live in our system. But what we're really, really looking for is, uh, is a group of folks who can be empathetic um, to this really life-changing situation. Uh, we are in a moment in history that, that will, uh, has drawn an indelible line. We will forever be before and after COVID. And being able to live in that moment, uh, being able to stay empathetic in that moment is really uh, the, the, the key, um, the, the sort of the key uh, factor that we're, we're looking for in those who we, we hire. I just want to add one thing because I think, you know, I'm inundated with tech companies contacting and saying, you know, we want to build our, you know, there's an app we can do. And, and certainly we 100% rely on technology to, to help and be a, a um, you know, to add on, but there's really no replacement for human connection, particularly in times of mm -hmm. when people are stressed. And so 
there's not an app for this that's going to take the place of a human. So I, I think that that's a critical point that when people, you know, you're dealing with with really complex issues, um, it's uh, we need to have a human on the other side of the phone. And as John said, that empathetic listener is, is certainly the, the key, I think, for somebody feeling safe enough and to feel like they're being cared for, even if it's happening virtually. So um, press one for if you have COVID is not uh, not going to do it. Um, the bartender skills uh, seem to be more broadly uh, uh, applicable. I, I, I think I understand that. Um, we're coming uh, um, close to the end of our, our uh, conversation. Um, I'd like to um, understand from you, and this is an open-ended question and beyond, perhaps beyond the scope of your, your charter, but uh, I'm excited to, to have this testing and tracing help bring down, as you say, the R, R not and, and, and get this uh, epidemic under control. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to this, but how long do you think it'll be before uh, we can live a, a somewhat normal life and, um, and have a reliable expectation of, of remaining healthy? Um, look, I wish I could give you uh, some, some number, um, but I'll tell you from our experience that Partners in Health was able to contact trace down to the final you know, few homes in Sierra Leone where we expected Ebola to come from. Um, and that was in, in a town called Tonkalili. And, you know, we're, we're sitting on the top of this mountain right now. And I definitely understand the, the urgency to, to get down as quickly as possible. Um, I think Sheila would agree that there were, there were days that you'd look around West Africa and think to yourself, how is this ever going to end? Um, we're, we're in that moment right now. Um, but we know how it will end. And that is through these, these proven techniques. Um, it's through investment in public health infrastructure. Um, it's through gaining trust in this whole process and this process isn't just testing, but also tracing um, and providing safe isolation and support. Um, you know, if the sooner that we can effectively and, and on a large, broad scale um, provide all of those pieces of the public health response in equal measure, um, and not just focus on one, but focus on all of them, the sooner we'll, we'll together climb down this mountain. Um, you know, the answer to the question is, um, you know, can we, can you trust us to contact trace from Tonka Lily all the way to Tewksbury here in Massachusetts? And, you know, um, we, we've got to do that. We've got to trust the public health uh, system and the public health response. I don't know if Sheila has anything to add to that. No, I agree. And I just, you know, I think, um, you know, working in Massachusetts is certainly something we were very honored to be asked to do. And, and we're going to be helping some other states with technical assistance, certainly not to the degree that we've done in Massachusetts. But I think, you know, we're also really battling this in 10 other countries around the world. And although there's many needs here, the needs in those places are, are so much more in the sense of there's not ICU beds, there's not the same hospital facilities, 
there's not the safety net that we have here. So, you know, it's, you know, us sitting on our couch for a few weeks is tough, but it's, you know, it's hopefully doable for most people, not for everyone. But I think to keep our eye on what's happening in other countries where there's not access to testing in the same degree, so we're not getting accurate numbers, but we know that it's a tsunami getting ready to hit in, in Haiti and, and many other places we work. So I think being cognizant of what's happening around the world and people can go to our website at www.pih.org to learn about what we're doing around the world um, to combat COVID because we'll, we'll get through this year and it's, and it's devastating and there'll be many lives lost, but this is gonna have an even more devastating impact on and the other places that Partners in Health works. So can I just throw in maybe what might be a last question? Um, and I think you're leading us right to it, uh, Sheila and John. And, for people who are not part of the army, as as Joe had mentioned, the army of, of healthcare workers that, that that that's being assembled, for sort of the ordinary civilians now, what is it? What what can we do to help? What can the citizens of Massachusetts uh, do to help you uh, get this job done? Believe it or not, uh, right now the most important thing people can do is answer their phone. Um, if they trust that um, that the work that we're doing is a key ingredient to um, getting to the end of this pandemic, then they can answer their phone when they hear from the MA COVID team. Um, they can help us by making sure that they're keeping track of who their close contacts are and they can share those. And if uh, they're provided information, they have indeed been in, in touch in contact with someone who's tested positive, that they agree to, to quarantine um, and try and reduce the transmission. Um, we're here to try and work with them to provide them the tools that they need so they can safely quarantine. But we need uh, them to trust that this is an essential activity um, to, to ending transmission. And really, at this moment, answering your phone um, will save lives. It doesn't seem like a lot to ask, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I hope we can all do that. <laughs> that seems like an easy lift. Yeah, really. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. This has been a, a great conversation. I, great. I do appreciate it. I'm yeah. sure you're both very, very it's an busy. honor. Uh, yeah, it indeed is an honor. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, we have this phenomenal resource right here in our backyard. Um, so uh, as you say, um, Ours is a big challenge, but certainly not the worst you've seen. Uh, and I think we can work together to get, get through it. So thank you very much. I hope yes, you'll join you. us in the future uh, so we can congratulate you on your success. That would be great. Yeah, we thank hope you so, so much. Yeah, thank you. Great thank talking you with us. you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, we're back. Well, Barbara, uh, yeah, Sheila, Sheila and John are impressive. Yeah, they're impressive people, but this is a big job. Are you confident that uh, the testing and tracing will be an effective way to manage this epidemic here in Massachusetts? Well, I, I think it holds great promise. Uh, you, you know, from what they described, they're really talking about the tracing part. They get notified by the Department of Public Health when there is a positive test. 
So they don't, they're not really doing the testing themselves or they're not involved in how many tests we can do. That's another component that we didn't talk about with them because it's not in their wheelhouse. But on the, you know, on the tracing part of it, they certainly have, uh, they know what they're doing. They've done this before and they know what needs to be done. And, and so I do have confidence that with respect to the, their part of this uh, public health initiative, that I think that, that, that we will see some meaningful success. What I liked a lot was their emphasis on follow-up with the people who test positive and the people who uh, are then contacted, who came in contact with the folks who tested positive and how they keep following up with those people to ask them to quarantine and to provide them the resources that uh, they need. I think one of the things that um, I know I'm aware of that we didn't get a chance to, to bring out is that they connect people up with different social services. You know, they're, they're going to make sure that you've got uh, food in your house, that if there are other health care needs that they get taken care of, that if there are child care needs, I mean, they're, they're, they have a component that they didn't really talk about that I, that I'm aware of. That's very important if we're going to ask people to quarantine and we expect them to cooperate. So, I, you know, I th- it is doable. There, there's no question. These folks have done it elsewhere. It is doable here. They said they've already hired a thousand people. I think the big part, of course, is going to be cooperation on the part of folks who are going to be asked to provide the names of people they've spent more than 15 minutes with over the course of a period of time. And then you know, and then to contact those 15-minute people and to convince them that uh, they, it's really in all of our interests for them to cooperate. So, uh, but but I, I, they they sounded pretty confident that uh, they're tra- uh, they're they're training this this army, as you called it, Joe, uh, on how to go about uh, providing information to the people they're calling and how to about how to go about persuading them to to cooperate. Yeah, so I, that, I, I am I think that there's going to be a they're going to have there's going to be a meaningful um, outcome to this tracing effort yeah what came through to me and I, I had the benefit of having the zoom call the the visual it was clear to me they they were calm they were confident they they say we've got this uh, which was truly uh, inspirational um, and I think it's important to note that Partners in Health is a nonprofit, uh, not unlike Pioneer Institute and they survive on the generosity of, of donors so I, if I can make a, a, a plug for, for them as well, uh, PIH.org is, is where you can find them and you can find uh, uh, Sheila and John. Um, yes, this is an epic uh, undertaking and uh, it really requires, as, as John said, simply from us answering our phone. Uh, and I think we can do that. Um, yeah, I hope we can. I hope we can. And, and to those out there who are eager to have us, this economy open up and, and, and try to get back to some semblance of normal, I think we see a way forward. We don't know how long it'll take, but we see the steps we're going to need to, to go through right. to, to get there. So, Barbara, right. uh, I really do appreciate your uh, helping me as, a, as my co-host in this show. I think it's an important show. It was a pleasure. And, oh, you did a fine job, and, and I hope you'll join me again in the future. Sure. Happy to. Thanks a lot. This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Uh, There's three ways to support our show. Uh, One is to give us a five-star rating. You can write a review as well. And of course, you can share it on social media with others. Hubwonk is a podcast of Pioneer Institute. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.